It's good to be here. Are you glad to be here? Yes. yes. <laughs> Just check. Just check. Um, I am going to start with uh, Abraham today, and I think I think there's at least two more times we're going to talk about Abraham. And I'm, I'm, it's a short part of his life, but a very important part of his life. And so I want to give you a little context about who Abraham is. And he is often called the father of faith. Um, what that means is the father of something usually means the first one to do something or someone who does the best at it. And um, he wasn't, so you know, he wasn't perfect, but he, he did some really strong acts of faith. His name at first was Abram, and we're going to call him Abraham, even though his name hadn't changed yet in his story, just for familiarity. He was a 10th generation descendant from Noah, so that gives you a little perspective. He wasn't too far along in the history of the earth. Um, and then three generations after Abraham, his grandson Jacob would have 12 sons who would head up the 12 tribes. As a matter of fact, one of those sons was Joseph, who ended up getting all the family into Egypt, into slavery, you know, all that story of Moses. So that gives you a little perspective. He was before all of that. Um, it isn't entirely clear, and this becomes important later, but uh, it, it's thought that he grew up on a, on a major port city on the Persian Gulf, uh, what we call it now, until the decision was made to move his family, which included Abraham, uh, his wife, his nephew, his father, and, and all their servants. And they were going to Canaan, that was the plan. When they got about halfway there, they ended up settling in Haran, a city in what we call Turkey now. And um, some think it was Abraham's plan to go to Canaan. I don't know that part, but you can only speculate about that. But they got halfway there and they settled. Uh, as far as the religious culture of the day, Abraham's family was involved in what's called polytheism. That just means a whole bunch of gods out there. Not one true god, but a whole bunch of them. Um, they worshiped these idols, basically. And that's what he grew up knowing. And um, history tells us that about this time, people started getting the idea, oh, there's all these gods. Well, I'm going to have my own god. I'm going to acquire my own god, my own idol. And uh, that became then their family's focus of worship, and then they would do whatever they needed to do to appease this God, whether that was to flatter the God, humor the God, appease the God, manipulate until they could get what they want. And I, I was thinking about how does that work? Everybody's trying to get what they want. I think that ends up in some compromising in what you really believe is right. Probably some division and competition between the I gotta get my God to do this. Um, and it's just not, not a healthy thing. But this family God then would be passed on to the children, the grandchildren, the great grandchildren. So that's what Abraham knew. That's what he grew up with. Um, and a lot of things about those idols that was associated with their land, their inheritance, and so it became pretty important. Uh, but right in the middle of this, in spite of all the idol worship that was going on in this family, the one true God began to reveal himself to Abraham and invite him into, at first, a relationship, just a relationship. And so let's read about um, this passage in Genesis. Um, Genesis 12, 1 through 8, that should be up on the screen there. But, um, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Um, and then, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot would be his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. These were poor folks. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In verse 8, from there he went on through the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then we are studying out of the book of Hebrews, so we're going to go read in Hebrews 11, just verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So the first thing I want to talk about with all of this is the not knowing is an opportunity for faith. It's in the not knowing that we have opportunity to use our faith. Most people need a miracle, or they know someone who does. Most of us have something we need. But we don't know what the doctor will say, or if the kids will speak to us again, or if we'll have enough money this month, or whatever we face, we can use our faith and really believe that God will do what his word says he will do. Now, I didn't say what we want, but we're basing it on what he says. Or we can use the same opportunity to melt down, to freak out, to live in fear, to demand, to manipulate, to compromise, to lie, to steal, to cheat. It's on us how we respond to not knowing. If you choose God's way of faith, he'll give you what you need. And this, I believe, is true, and it's not easy to experiential, experientially experience, but not knowing can be an exciting thing when you really trust God. Uh, if, you th if some of you were here when Cody did his chair illustration, do you remember that? He put a chair back here, and then, you know, I'm really nervous because Cody's had major back surgery lately, and, you know, it's not like something. But anyway, he said, you guys tell me how to do this. I'm going to back up and sit in that chair. No, Cody, don't. don't go. You know, I'm in fear out there. And Cody's, you know, stepping back. Oh, no, go this way a little bit, you know, and you guys are telling him where to go. He didn't actually sit down on the chair. But he, he said he, he got back there and he would have sat down on the chair. But it's when he's sitting on the chair, he doesn't need faith anymore to sit up, to get back to the chair, right? Once you're sitting in the chair, you don't need that faith anymore. So there's all kinds of different faith out there. And that's why with those ping pong balls, there might be something very specific that God has been trying to get you to trust him with, right? And so it's in when this, when you sit down finally, then you're not, you don't need the faith anymore for that. But there's plenty of things 
where we need faith. And Hebrews adds here that he did not know where he was going. And I don't believe that meant just the vocation. I've always thought that, you know, Abraham, God sent him to this place. He didn't know where he was going. I don't think it was just the location. He was beginning to know this personal God who had spoken to him. This God told him to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. Some versions just say his house. I kind of think he might have had a nice house that he was in. So this was a big deal. The countries they were in was pretty significant. Uh, There's all kind of territorial battles that went on in those days. And people were willing to defend their country. So leaving a country isn't necessarily a small thing. This is following the Tower of Babel, where all the language words were confused and changed and people dispersed. So we know there was different languages going on. So the language could be an issue. And then, of course, there was the religion thing, the religious thing, and all their customs. And with different language, you have different customs, different languages, different religions. So I think these were all on the table when the writer of Hebrews said Abraham didn't know he didn't know what he was getting into, basically. Have you ever felt like that? Like God is asking you, we, we moved here three, three and a half years ago. We didn't know what we we're getting into, really. I mean, our daughter was here, so I felt kind of safe. <laughs> but anyway, we didn't know. But I was excited about it. I did choose to be excited about it. When our house wasn't selling in North Dakota and wasn't selling and wasn't selling, my excitement waned and wavered. My trust waned and wavered in that. But I kept going back to what God had promised me about it, what he had shown me about that, what word he had spoken to me out of of the Bible about that. Anyway, I'm pretty sure Abraham didn't know all that he was getting into. Uh, as a matter of fact, right after this verse, in the next verse in, uh, chap- in verse 9 in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it talked about, it pointed out that Abraham was living in a tent, like he had to live in tents. And I, so I think that might have been new. And I don't know how many of you uh, spouses out here, if, you're, if your spouse wants to live in a tent, how excited you'd be about that. But anyway, uh, it, it seems like that was one of the things he was called, he was asked to give up was his home and live in tents. As a matter of fact, he never did really own land except for a burial site. But the inheritance he got was amazing. Um, And it's in the not knowing, it's in the impossible, it's in the hopeless, where really we are positioned to use our faith. And we don't always pass the faith test. I'm just going to tell you, we do not always pass the faith test. And how often do we even consider using our faith? That's what we're trying to do is start using our faith in some areas we haven't in the past because God is a good God. He loves us and he has only our best in mind. We talked about it, the first verse in Hebrews 11 uh, where it talks about what faith is. And I'm just going to read it. it. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The Amplified uses the word title deed. Faith is like a title deed for something you're hoping for. Well, if you, let's say you bought a house and it's paid for, and you have the title to that house now, the title deed for that. 
Do you have to worry about whether the house will get paid for? Say no. No, because it's paid for, okay? It is paid for. But in that in-between time, before it's paid for, that's where you need the faith. But what I'm saying about it is faith, King James also uses the term substance. Faith is a substance. Faith is actually something you hold onto as if you already have the title deed in hand. Think about that for a minute. It's the same as already having it. That's what faith is. So we shouldn't be worrying or fretting anyway, right? If we're really trusting God, we shouldn't be worrying or fretting about it. Not that you would worry or fret. I'm not saying that. But but faith is unwavering. And I've already told you I'm not always there, but I'm just saying that's what true faith is. In the New Testament, we get some clues about Abraham's faith. In Romans 4, there's a few verses, and I'm just going to read them to you. Abraham is our father in God's sight because he trusted God as the one who gives life to the dead and calls non-existent things into existence. The King James Version says he calls those things that are not as if they are. In uh, then Romans uh 4 verses, verse 20, it says, Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Those are some powerful words, that God had the power to do what he had promised. I am not always fully persuaded that God's going to do what he's promised to do. I don't always have the assurance of a title deed in my heart, but you know what? It's my goal. Because when I live like that, I have peace, I have joy, and I have something to give someone else. John Wesley said that the enemy has given the church a substitute for faith that looks and sounds so much like faith, it's hard to tell the difference. People can't even tell the difference. He called it mental assent, which just means that you agree you mentally agree with something. Doesn't take any effort on your part. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'm listening to Pastor Cody. Yeah, that sounds good. But you don't take it any further than that. You may have mentally agreed for years that there was a God. But at some point, some of you at least, I believe most of you, at some point, something changed so that you became born again. What happened? It went from the head, from mentally assenting, there's a God out there, to the heart, your spirit being. It went there. Romans 10.10 says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, not your head, believe in your heart or your spirit, that God raised him, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's in the heart, not the head, that man believes. What changed? You received the word of God, went to your heart, not just your head. Because it had been in your head before, right? It had been in your head about God and Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I went to all the Lutheran stuff, the Bible schools, all this stuff. I did all that stuff, but I didn't get it till I was 18. 
That word had went into my spirit and it changed everything. Then I started to believe him. Then I started to know he's a real God. Then I started to know he wants a relationship with me. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Using the word of God to enter into your heart. So the reason why John Wesley saw mental ascent as so dangerous was that the word is not in your heart at that point, but in your head. We need this kind of heart faith to change the world. This kind of faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's why the word of God is so important. That's why I preach on the word. That's why I say, get in the word. That's why I say, read the word. That's why I say, meditate on the word. You can memorize it if you want to, but the main thing is meditate on it. Why? Because it starts to change from here to here. Thus, the word is that kind of importance, hugely important. What we might think is faith sometimes is only mentally agreeing with what the word says. So we have to ask, is this mental, am I mentally assenting, agreeing with the word? Or do I have that title deed that, yeah, God's going to do this thing. Mental assent a lot of times is just hope. Oh, I hope he's going to. That's not quite faith, is it? I hope he's going to do it. No, faith says this. God promised me that he was going to do this for me, and it's going to happen. I mean, Abraham, you'll find out, he had to wait a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years to have his first son. He was, I don't want to give away any secrets, but he was older. Older than me. Older than everyone in here. <laughs> he was old when he had his first son, and all of his inheritance was tied up in having a son. A lot of it was, anyway. But it says Abraham didn't waver. He knew. He had the title deed, I am having a son. Of course, he did take things into his own hands and do it, you know, another way, but he had the confidence that God was going to do something. But there is more to faith, heart faith, that's than heart faith that's required here. Abraham was asked to leave his country and go to another one. And that is obeying God. Obeying God is a requirement. I'm saying the word requirement. Obeying God is a requirement for faith to work. And in these verses in Hebrews in 4 and 5, it says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. I think that's pretty different. You know, the Bible doesn't always say, and they got there. But here it says they arrived here because it's hugely important. Hugely important. Abraham was asked to go, and he got himself there. At 75 years old, he was asked to do this. God had spoken, and really God had commanded him to go. You need to go. But he also laid out some benefits that we'll talk about in a little bit. Abraham believed God's word to him. If you go, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. All these things. And the New Testament says he believed God, and it was credited as righteousness. The same, word, the same way we are made righteous by receiving the work of the cross, receiving the work of Jesus, the same way Abraham was made righteous because he believed that Jesus was coming. He trusted, he knew that this was going to happen. Jesus, Abraham acted in faith and he obeyed God. So just as having faith in your heart is needed, obedience to God's work is also to God's word is also a requirement for faith to work. 
And we know that from James where it says faith without works is dead. What? Faith without accompanying actions is, is like it's not faith at all. So again, you see, this is kind of a hard message, you know, like, I thought I had faith. Well, I believe you have some faith. The Bible talks about the measure of faith, little faith, great faith, increasing faith. And so there's all kinds of faith out there. Faith to believe. <clears throat> so it's not really faith at all if it's dead, right? Faith can be in your heart, but it is considered dead when you don't act on it. And I've been guilty of this many times. Smith Wigglesworth says, faith is an act. Faith is doing something. When we obey God and his, and his word, we fulfill the requirements for faith. When you receive Jesus by faith, you are also asked to say it with your mouth. To confess Jesus as your Savior. Have you heard that? Confess Jesus as your Savior? That means say it with your mouth. Confess that he is. And that's part of the whole baptism thing we do. We ask people to say it out of their mouths because it's part of the salvation. To say it is actually part of your salvation. In verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Morah at Shechem. Now, I don't know a whole lot about it. There isn't a lot of information about it. But at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. This is supposed to be Abram's land for his people. And here he gets here, and it's not just a vacant lot. Somebody's got to get these new neighbors out, right? He's, they're, <laughs> they're not supposed to be here. But the Lord appeared to Abram. That would cure it for me right there. If God appeared to me, because it says literally God showed himself to Abram. God appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. Done deal. God's there. He's telling me this. And so he built an altar to the Lord there and uh, who had appeared to him. So God actually appeared to Abraham. And I was thinking about that, and finally it just hit me. Why did God appear to him? Because he doesn't just go around appearing to everybody. Abram had a major job. His job influenced all of us, right? Abram was the father of faith, the one who initiated, the one who started this wonderful, I mean, God did, but through Abraham. He is hugely important, and I believe that's why God appeared to him. So, I mean, I'm thinking Abraham sees all these people, <laughs> like, oh, this is kind of scary. What if you had to kick your neighbors out of their house to get your house? You know, that wouldn't be like something you'd relish. But God appeared, and again, it built that faith. The word from God builds that faith in him. And he built an altar. There was some work ahead of Abraham. He had to be strong in his faith. You know, when I hear something that I know is God, like I know it's his voice, I know he's speaking to me, I literally write it down. And when I travel across the country, I take it with me. Why? Because his words are so precious to me. And I think when Abraham built this this altar, it, well, there were several things. He wanted to worship God. He wanted, he wanted to remember, every, savor every moment of that. But I think he was also making a declaration to heaven and hell and all his neighbors. <laughs> I am serving the one true God. I believe it was an act of almost defiance toward the enemy at that point because they didn't necessarily like that he was, wasn't putting up an altar for their gods. 
So he built this altar as a memorial to remember that precious moment, but also to worship God and make a statement. So what were these blessings that God promises? And what about these curses in there? Receiving the blessings is the result of obedient faith. And it says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. This is what, this is what he's telling this man who has no kids. Right? I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That's interesting. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, I did a little study and this is the first time the word bless is even used. Like this is new covenant language that God is making, wanting to make this agreement with Abraham. You do this, I do this. By the way, whenever God makes a covenant with you, guess who gets the best deal? It's us. God always does the way more part. We do our little part and he does this part. He does so much more. Anyways, the first time the word bless is used and it's generally associated with prosperity. Do well. Bless someone. Do well. Do well. And we can expect to be blessed when we walk in God's covenant of love for us. He still offers us a covenant. And at the new birth, you really enter into the covenant is what happens. So God was calling Abraham into this relationship, but also into a covenant, an eternal agreement. Simply put, it was this, obey me and you will be blessed. Now, if someone just says to me, obey me, it's not going to mean a whole lot. But he was starting to see how good God was. Remember all the gods they've been trying to appease? They didn't know who this God was. They didn't know he was good and loving and eternal. They didn't know all that. He was learning that. And the covenant really was to help establish the goodness of God so people could see, oh, you mean we just do this and he takes care of us? We just do this and he provides? We obey him and he provides everything we need? Pretty much. It's a good gospel. It's a good message. He's a good God. If you're wondering, Cody started that out today. He's going to preach my message today. Cody's going to get up there. But did you notice how many times he said, be open to what Jane's going to say? He didn't know what I was going to say. But anyway, I appreciate that. He's a good God. And there weren't people with these gods. There was no covenant. This was something different. Those, there were no God, no covenants with those gods. And it was unique in this culture and provided that identity, that belief in their destiny even. Do you know that in 1948, Israel was made recognized as a nation? And people started coming back to Israel like a magnet. Study it. It's amazing. From all over the world, they're still moving there. It shows that you can watch a video of people kissing the ground. Why? Because they have this destiny for this promised land in their hearts. It's not something they have to work up or try to figure out. It's just like they just know. And it's precious. It's a precious, precious thing. Later in Deuteronomy, um, I say later because we're in early part of Genesis here, uh, all the blessings and cursings are written about. And I think it's in Deuteronomy 28, I believe, if you want to read about that. It says the blessings and curses come upon the people 
and it, it shows how it's laid out, what happens, what causes it, what how it works. But the curse or the punishment for breaking God's law was basically having nothing like poverty, uh, sickness, the second death, all of that was part of the curses that come on people who don't obey God. The blessings of obedience are the blessing, the financial, material blessings, the physical blessings for the body, and the spiritual blessings. And that's for us as well. In Galatians 3.13, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, we see how Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. These, all these curses were called the curse of the law because he was made a curse for us. Jesus was made a curse on the cross. Did you know that? He became sin. He literally became sin and was made a curse and took. He redeemed us so we don't have to have the curses of the law. And then in verse 14 in, in Galatians 3, it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So these were the spiritual benefits promised to Abraham. If he did his part, went to his country, did obey God, all of these blessings were going to come, and we get the benefit of it. In a sense, Abraham, Abraham is, by the way, he's in heaven, but he is still. He is still reaping the benefits of that covenant he made with God. What? You and I are part of the benefits. Um, in the same way, when we by faith receive the work of the cross and the indwelling Holy Spirit, we get the blessings untold. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one who gets to heaven and finds out when I got there how much I could have had on earth. How much more joy, how much more peace, how much more love, whatever it is. But the Bible says that the New Testament is established on better promises than the Old Testament. So that's pretty cool. Now, if you ask my husband, Wayne, how he is, how many know what he says? He often says, just, you know what he says? He says, Blessed. If you ask my husband, Wayne, how are you, Wayne? Blessed. And then he might in, add all the stuff in Deuteronomy. Blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. That's all in there. And that he says that because he's aware of the covenant he has with his father. And if he isn't really blessed in the natural realm at the moment, which is unusual for him, he's very steady. But if he isn't, he's still going to say the same thing because he trusts that the covenant he has with his father means it's coming. The blessing is coming. He may not feel it at the moment, but he trusts his heavenly father. And that's how we act by faith. That's how we do it. We live with an expectation that the blessing, the answer, the cure, the whatever we need is on its way. If it isn't here right now, it's coming. But if we have that title deed, we could actually say and call things that be not as though they were as, oh yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I see it. I see it by faith. I see it. And that's what Abraham did. He saw it by faith. He never even got to see the fulfillment of all of it. 
but he had it and it was counted, that he had it in his heart because of faith. And when you really understand it, when you live with this expectation that God, it doesn't matter what it looks like right now because God is good, he has the answer, he's gonna take care of me, he is taking care of me, I am taken care of, see how I change it? I am taken care of because God is good. When we really understand it, it changes your life. And Christians should stand out above all others in the crowd with joy and peace and trust, faith in God, and an excitement about what God is doing. So these covenant promises that God made with Abraham were amazing. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Abraham had no children, he was 75, and no land, he was 75, but this great nation, and I will bless you. And then he says, I will make your name great. Obviously, we hear about Abraham like all through the whole Bible. Jesus talked about Abraham, the disciples, Paul talked about, everybody talked about Abraham, and the Jewish people refer to themselves as the children of Abraham. So his name is great, it was made great. In Galatians 3, 29, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are called Abraham's children because we have faith. And then it says, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now the word curse here means to declare to be evil or detestable, the opposite of love. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And like I said, Abraham's faith led to Jesus. And the, genie, and the new a whole New Testament starts out with the first verse says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we know that he was a huge part of God's plan for us. And all peoples on the earth are blessed today through Abraham. All of this was Abraham's inheritance, even though he didn't see most of it in his lifetime. He believed. He knew. He didn't waver. He was fully persuaded it was coming. He heard the word of the Lord. He believed it in his heart. He did what God asked him to do through obedience and reaped a harvest beyond anything we probably could even imagine. So the call to us for obedience and faith is the same as to Abraham, except we're a little more blessed than him, I believe. We have the written word. He didn't have that written word filled with all the examples of how to live by faith. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and access to every possible Christian song and Christian message in the world, right? You have the internet. You've got it. You've got so much. Not all good, by the way, but there's so much there that is good. When we go on with Abraham, we'll get into more specifics about what were some of the things he had to believe for and how he did it. But he faced some impossible situations. Faith for the impossible makes the impossible possible. Faith for the impossible 
makes the impossible possible. And faith on our part is usually necessary if we want to see something impossible changed. So stir up your faith by meditating on the Word of God. See what God has promised you, what he says about your situation, and then speak what he says, not your own ideas, not your own thoughts. Don't just mentally assent. Go beyond hope. Choose to act by faith because faith acts out of obedience. And you will see the benefits promised. God's a good God. Can always, always, always trust him. And when you settle it in your heart that he's good, that changes everything too. Took me a long time. I thought he had done some bad stuff. He's not the author of darkness or death or sickness or disease. He's not the thief that comes to kill, steal, or destroy. He, that's not him. There's an enemy. But settle this as well. God is absolutely and only good all the time. And that's good news. Father, we thank you for just the honor of being a part of Abraham's family. I thank you for the truth of the word that says I have I reap the benefits of Abraham's faith. But Lord, I know that there are so many more ways that others can reap benefits because of our faith. We're blessed to be a blessing, Lord. You've given us all of this, not to hoard it up, not to, to just feel good. It's not about that. It's okay to feel good. But Father, you've called us to the lost. You've called us to those who don't know anything about you or have wrong ideas about you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to truth, faithful to you, faithful to your goodness, faithful to your message, faithful to develop our faith in a new and powerful way, Lord. Speak to our hearts about those areas where we just haven't been fully trusting you, Lord. Help us to step, to take an action, Lord, to step into that place of faith, to move from hope to really to faith, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, how you're going to catch, not only catch us, but you're going to reap blessings on us because of our obedient faith, Lord. Wow. You are good. I thank you, Jesus, for giving everything for me to have all that I need. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jane. Yeah. So at the top, we talked about um, the jar and the ping pong balls. And, uh, you know, Jane's message today is just so perfect to introduce that and get us ready for that. I loved that question at the beginning of, like, we have to know where God is drawing us towards. And that, in my head, I just saw a question mark. And so like, if there's an area in your life today that there's a question mark about. Yeah, it's good. And you're not sure, you know, like you're not sure what that question mark is going to pan out to be. You don't know the answer. You don't know what in the world is gonna happen. But if there's a question mark today in your life, 
then that is an opportunity to obey God because all he's saying is trust me. That is the act of obedience for us. He's not asking oftentimes for super specific things. He's just asking, just trust me. I am who I say I am. I'll take care of that. And so if there's an area in your life that represents a question mark, that's a great place to start for you to go to that jar, pick up that ping pong ball, and give him the question. He's the only one who can answer it. Amen? So we got to trust him with the question. So as we sing these songs, prayer is that you would be drawn to obey God in his urging to trust him. That's the only way that we're going to see anything happen, guys. That's the only way that we're going to see God for who he truly is, is if we give him a chance that requires obedience, that requires faith. So let's do that together this morning.